On the far side of this wall live the Zooks. Oh yeah, it's time you knew of the terrible horrible thing that Zooks do. Oh yeah, in every Zook town every Zook eats his bread with the butter side down. Oh yeah, it's time for the rules of acquisition. Hello and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition, a podcast where we will be talking about the world's best show ever. Yes, I'm talking about <laughs> Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, with me, as always, is James Nolan. Hello, gentlemen. And also Hugh Crawford. Hey, how we doing? I'm doing all right. My name is Wade Bowen, and yeah, we'll just jump right into it. We're talking about the Armageddon game. Yes. Oh, yes. The Armageddon game. It originally aired uh, January 30th, 1994. It is episode 13 of season two. The IMDb description is as follows. Chief O'Brien, who still doesn't like the good Dr. Bashir must rely on him when the two are stranded on a planet and O'Brien is infected with a deadly, fast-moving disease. Um, all right, guys. Well, let's get into it. What did you guys think about the Armageddon game? There's good stuff in this one, and then there's not as good stuff about it. There's some things I had real angry nerd corner thoughts about. But. <laughs> okay, I'd be interested in that. I thought it was a... Overall, sort of a, just a fine, like a, like a fine episode with like parts that were not. I don't, I don't think anything ever got in the lower register of good. Like uh, you know, I think it was in the, it was a solid story that that had like you know maybe some higher high points than well was this I've been experiencing for a while. Well, this one was the yeah. most. This one, as far as I'm concerned, was the most Star Trek episode we've had in season two, and yeah. maybe the most Star Trek episode that we've had. Uh, for the whole run of the whole series. And my thinking is, is that this could have happened on a ship. This whole story could have happened on a ship. And the Commander Sisko acts like a normal cap- a Star Trek captain would have acted by going in and investigating this. Um, and I think that maybe, I don't know the origins of this particular script. James, do you have any? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wrote down, I think, let me guess. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is an old Next Generation actually, script. Actually, it's, it's not. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah I know. It's not. First of all, I, I would crazy. comment on you that I think that it actually feels like the most of all of those shows we've watched, I think it feels most like the original series. You have like a Bones episode, a Bones and Spock right. episode. It's, it starts where, with them on location talking about this problem they're solving for mm-hmm. what in the original series would be a, a colony of humans on a planet or something. Yeah. And then it ends with this sort of shoehorned Kirk is awesome sort of thing just to make William Shatner shut up. So like, like as, as a as a it's like an awesome like pilot thinker, you know, like a tactical a tactical mastermind. So like I think that's what it felt like to me. So I actually like I just enjoyed like the old school sort of feeling of the episode. But no, it was uh, pitched by a guy named Yeah, I've got I've got a few different writers yeah, it, on this here. Uh, uh, Morgan Gindel? Yes. Yeah, Morgan Gindel. Yes. I thought it was Morgan Grindle, but it's Morgan Gindel. Yeah, um, yeah he, he was like a TV guy. He he wrote Law & Order stuff. He was like in that Dick Wolf circle of like people. Sure. Mm-hmm. And So uh, he, he was like, oh, I can write a Star Trek script, and oh, I guess I'll write it for DS9. There you go. Yeah, exactly. And so he pitched it as it was Bashir and 
Dax originally, like according to Memory Alpha, he pretty quickly dropped that and made it O'Brien at their request. That O'Brien and Bashir go down to a alien culture and tell them to stop manufacturing a biological weapon, and they cunningly weave the biological weapon's DNA into O'Brien's so that it puts Cisco in a like to destroy the weapon. He has to destroy O'Brien. Yeah. They rejected that and said we want to. St- we want a chase story. So he pitches this and he writes this sort of elaborate chase story with a lot of different planets. And like, it's about Bashir and O'Brien having to like planet hop back to deep space nine to uncover the plot, the murder plot. They go with that and they accept it. And then they price it out. Just like we've said a thousand times on the show, they priced it out. And then they said, fuck it, make it one set. (laughs) (laughs) Whole episode, one set. So he's like a chase episode in one set. And they were like, yeah, and so I don't think Gindel wrote that part, but Ira Bear, I think, wrote it, but I don't think he took credit for it. Oh, uh, yeah. So well, they have, they yeah, have like, I, two sets. They have the the laboratory <laughs> and the planet. Yeah, exactly. That's, uh, that's, when, uh, we, yeah, they that's have a, a laboratory and a matte painting and then just a room they can just put some boxes in. Yeah, just some boxes and a dusty old room yep. and a little, bit of, a little bit of light outside. Yeah, no. So that was sort of the goofy genesis of this episode but i get the feeling that i don't know i mean law and order is good and right. i assume that this guy is probably used to like not having his scripts being budgeted down right yeah so it starts so. off they're solving basically this biological weapon except they don't ever call it that it's like a well it's the harvesters which mm-hmm. okay that's using as hell yeah too, like this like yes, that's that's oh that's the that's the dumbest use of a great name for like a weapon of mass destruction, because like yes. it doesn't harvest any. It's just a bio, It's like sarin gas or something. It's just a biological weapon. It's got nano stuff in it so that they need an engineer so they can bring O'Brien. In. But if they're going to call it a harvester, exactly. but sarin gas make it harvest something. Yeah, like it harvests information and reuses <laughs> it, and that's why it's so uh, diabolical because it's harvesting DNA and then turning that against it and it changes or something. You know, it's not hard to write something to where you explain it away where the name actually makes some fucking sense. You know? And also for like this really horrible biological weapon, like the effects on O'Brien is basically he gets flu-like symptoms for 24 yeah. hours. You don't see like super gross shit going. It's not like his eyeballs are bleeding, his head split, splitting open. There's worse biological weapons now. Right. Like, sarin gas is pretty yeah, fucked exactly. up. Yeah, I don't understand. Like, it seems like kind of a lame biological weapon just all yeah, around. Yeah, yeah. But, well, you know, and, it's just well, an excuse to get them and having a good O'Brien and Bashir story, which yeah. it is, actually. Like, they're... Now, did you guys have a problem with the logic behind um, the bad guy's motivation? Fake O'Brien and Bashir's death in order to get rid of anybody who had knowledge of the, the biological weapon. So yeah, it can't yeah. be recreated again. Right. And the thing is, is if once like somebody on your planet hears of something that existed and it existed before, you're never going to be able to stop somebody from trying to... Yeah, right. If it was achievable the first time, somebody somewhere can engineer it. So... By killing everybody off, I understand that you lessen the odds of that happening, but it's not – they're acting like like they're good people, but they have to do this because it's like the most practical thing. But it's not. It's a completely you, impractical. In a sense, that's like how the t- title of the episode is Armageddon Game because it's probably whoever is, wrote it was really into like game theory or something, you know, of like how to yeah, war game yeah. out like a – 
doomsday scenario. It's like, well, you have to kill everybody that has knowledge of it. And that's like, it's like a logic game. And that's kind of plays into the title. Like a thought experiment gone horribly wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, it reminded me of, what do they say, that Ivan the Terrible, whose architects did the minaret in the Kremlin, he had them blinded after they were done it's because he didn't want them to ever create anything as beautiful for right. anyone else. Or, like, it sounds like one of those ideas that are, no, it's like history, it's kind of a cool thing, but, like, it's, I don't know, it seems kind of yeah. ridiculous. and it's... Like, especially since these people are going to be leaving and going into a giant, faceless bureaucracy of the Federation, never to be heard from by the Dr. Seuss-like <laughs> yeah, was the, uh, the Talani and the Kellerud, <laughs> who have been at war. And, and from my, in my head, my the way I picture it, it's kind of um, a butter battle book, kind of... <laughs> Yes, it like is. Yeah. yeah, they have susical hair, like all of them. Yeah, oh, you you have your stupid haircut going this way, and we have our stupid haircut going that way. <laughs> we hate each other. Let's have a butter battle. <laughs> like, yeah, like the whole time I was like, this is the dumbest look. <laughs> yes. Uh, there was two things in the first scene I was just distracted by. I had to keep pausing it. I was distracted by one, one is their dumbass hair. And they were just each one got more and more ridiculous. It was like it was like a parody of like going to church <laughs> side of hair. Like I don't know. I actually, each one was bigger. Everyone, everyone that walked into that room got it got bigger and more elaborate. And then the guys that came in with the guns at the end, they were sweep back into a long <laughs> ponytail. Yeah, like the way it was, I, sometimes it had wrinkled uh, ramen noodle. <laughs> right, that, that was it. the Talani. And then the Kelleron have yes. this. <laughs> actually, I I almost like. Are, is is their hair? T- are these aliens like a real subtle fuck you to to Babylon Five? Because <laughs> <laughs> the, yes, there's do one of the main aliens exactly on Babylon. Like. What year did Babylon Five air? The next year, and there's all kinds of like pissing contests and dick. All right, dick so we got that to look forward to in 1995. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, like yes. oh, Babylon. All the nerds um, online are like, Babylon Five nerds are like would. DS9 just stole the idea from Babylon 5 was first, and then DS9 people are, well, we came out first, motherfuckers. Like, yeah, well, it's because yeah. Paramount's a bunch of dicks. It's like, oh, yeah, well, everybody's right. <laughs> it does seem like it does seem like the idea was stolen from the deep from Michael Straczynski, but none. Oh yeah, well, even that, even it's a space station with a number in it. Yeah, Come on, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty. Uh, the other thing that was distracting to me is the main little doctor guy that was featured through the whole first scene. Is Leon from Deadwood? When he dies, I was like, "Oh, they didn't even give him a little ball of dope." <laughs> the whole time, I was just distracted. I was like, "Leon's in this episode. Leon's in this episode." And like in a minute, he dies. So I was like, "Fuck this show." <laughs> it's a good episode, but yeah, the harvester thing. And where the hell is this planet? That's why I was like, "It's a Star Trek episode." Because like, come on, man, just like they can get to it real easy on a shuttlecraft, and within an hour, at the end of it, Bashir's like, we have to get him back to the station or he's dead in the next hour. Okay, where the hell is this planet? Yes. Just do a setup, come across this planet yes. where people are at war, and they're like, and they have this evil weapon of mass destruction, and they're like, hey, we're the Federation, we can help you with this, and, and there you go. But it's like, there's no, it's, you know, floating out this nebulous space wherever the hell this planet the talani system is or there's a whole network of talani 3 talani prime i guess there's killer run planets but we never hear about those and i don't get it because like the federation has ships out their asshole but cisco and deep space nine they have jobs there's been assassination plots and three like takeovers of the goddamn station they've got like real work to do and you keep sending them on this like little like 
small file like bullshit. Can't, isn't that what the ships are supposed well, to do? Well, we're out. Uh, we're out. That, the that's why edge, they can't. We're get out, out of, at the edge of this is frontier space, man. We don't have as many ships. But do but they do have that many ships because it's a neutral zone. There's a there. Well, and that's another aspect of this that that really bothered me is that when they said no, we, nobody can know about this weapon. Anybody who has knowledge of this has to die. And O'Brien and Bashir would have been like, no, no, we do shit like this every day. We're tearing down stuff every day for folks. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't have to worry about it. Number one, the Federation is so big with so many endless resources. If we wanted to come up with a horrible weapon to destroy y'all, we would have done that. I mean, O'Brien does have a line at one point. It's like, well, if anybody wants to do this, they're going to have to start from scratch, and it's going to be real hard. I know. You get to watch (laughs) it twice. Three three times in the episode he says that same line because they play it back on the videotape. And it just seems to me that, like, at some point, like, you really fucked with the Federation, yeah. butter battle <laughs> people. Is there no retribution? Like, how does the Federation have any credibility in space if you can just try and kill two of their officers, yeah. high-ranking officers, without any... Yeah, Cisco tells them at know? one point, like, by firing on the shuttlecraft, you've just uh, started a war, a declaration of war with the Federation. The episode should have just ended with a slow shot of the planet, and, like, Galaxy Cruiser just comes by and just blows right. up the city. <laughs> like, moves on. That's the or way Rome Or you said it somewhere in the Gamma Quadrant, and then they talk about, like, well, fuck it, we're, we're going back to the... Dun dun dum Dominion. Oh, if it's in the Gamma Quadrant, everything is. Yeah. A lot of these little problems are fixed. Right, but it's not. And I don't think it's in the Gamma Quadrant because mm-hmm. there's no mention of the wormhole at all. No. No, these people are acting like they're yeah. they're in the community. You know, they're they're living in the normal community that stars Star Wars or Star Trek. Takes it's, this feels like a problem that the the Enterprise, the flagship right. of the Federation, would have handled on its way to or from Deep Space Nine. And that's why I felt like it, it was like the, the most Star Trek. You know, I, like Odo and Kira really don't do anything other than just like... Well, you thought Odo was going to be like... You right. think yeah, that right. Odo is going to be the one but that no, figures it's... out that the tape is fake. Which, by the way, this whole... No spoiler alert, but this whole faked videotape of a death thing is much much oh, better right. done in a later episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we won't say much more about that. It seems like Odo is going to be the one that does that instead of this sort of let's give Keiko yeah. something well, to you... do. I, and that's the part I like the most is yeah, Keiko's yeah. grief. That was well done. Yeah, that's where this episode is good and, and, and they all think that Bashir and O'Brien are dead. All that stuff is great. Mm-hmm. And then O'Brien and Bashir on the planet having their heart to heart about what marriage and that's that stuff's fantastic yeah. it does great job setting up the julian o'brien dynamic so i i can't complain about that but it's mm-hmm. just the, the angry nerd corner stuff for me yeah yeah it's it's a lot of like i mean the core the core of this episode isn't rotten like mm-hmm. it has been for so many episodes right. we've watched the last five weeks but like the the dressing is yeah it's kind of rotten. do we want to talk about do we want to start talking about the bashir and the- o'brien stuff now yeah, yeah yeah the heart to heart some of this is gonna be tied up on yeah. what i would change in this episode but like i like the, the setup i like the heart to heart um it just seems like such a perfect setup for them to bond that i was sort of shocked how little trite yeah. their yeah. bonding was see i mean like o'brien is the best like grumpy bastard in this like and then yeah. julian is does a good job at this. He's basically just shits on the idea of marriage. It's like, yeah, because your marriage is you're miserable, right? Your wife hates being there. It's like, and yeah. and then when O'Brien is like, Julian, 
just stop it. He, he basically, or there's one point where he's like, "Say that again, mother motherfuckers." Implied. He's like, "Oh yeah, shit, yeah. never mind." Yeah. yeah, you're making your life wife miserable by marrying like this. Yeah, no, I. Yeah, you career officers. <laughs> but look at you. You're you, you're miserable marriage. Like Bashir in this episode, because he seems like I think that I get why they wanted to put Bashir with O'Brien. Obviously, yeah. they're opposites. And so that's, you know, so the Odo, Quark, and everybody, all these kind of opposites. Yeah, or else, where else are you going to find tension in a utopic? Like, yeah, ladies' man exactly, versus exactly. the happily married husband. Yeah. Well, not just that, but like the, the loudmouth right. braggart mixed with the quiet, steady man who just, you know, a man on the wall who always fixing right. the problems. The fixer, you know. But like, I think that Bashir, the best way to deal with braggarts like not like in real life or even in real life is the best way to highlight them like these arrogant people is to like i feel like that they're also encased in their own arrogance like that they are they're trapped they're victims of their own arrogance me, me and hugh have had a friend that i would say is probably a victim <laughs> of arrogance yeah and i and there's been times where i felt like being around him that he it wasn't like he, he would be another way if he could yeah. like he doesn't want to be this way like, but he doesn't know another way, and that keeps him from being close to other people. And he realizes that costs him friendships and girlfriends and all of these kinds of things. But he doesn't, you know, it's a compulsion. He doesn't know right. how to be another way. And I felt like Bashir, there was a scene where Bashir says that offhandedly and then realizes that it, it not only hurt O'Brien, but like, you know, he. You know, right. A bracket kicks ass, probably. Most definitely. You know, <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Not only is he not only is he armed, but yeah, he's a tough, no question. You know, yeah. Potato-faced right. Irish brawler. They're isolated. You know, so so the, the situation would be rife. And he realizes that he fucked up, and he realizes that he didn't mean to offend O'Brien anyway. And now they're in the situation, and so you see, like, just sort of like a like a look on his face, like, "Fuck, I did it again." And that's mm-hmm. sad, you know. And I, I that was the part, and you would never. Without that element, without the O'Brien element, you just get the Bashir that we've been dealing with for a season and a half. But with that element, I got, oh, that makes makes him more lovable. It's, you know, it's the look on a dog's face after he pisses on the carpet. You know, mm, the dog didn't You say me- lovable, I mean, I mean, like, palpable. Like, I yeah, think yeah, that, like, yeah, let's, I let's, think you, maybe I'm overselling it, yeah. I think it, make, it makes it a little... A little easier to swallow. I still don't think it's that it doesn't go down in history as one of the great Star Trek relationships. I, I think you're right. I'm not going to argue for it because I, I I don't love it either. But I mean, I think that probably yeah. most Star Trek fans would say that this is a top five relationship. I, I'm going to be the Star Trek. Uh, one of us has to take that point of view, and and I will gladly do so. But I mean, we're not there yet because it. What's great about it is that it builds over the whole series. Is that by the by season seven, it's like totally different, but the dynamic still is kind of similar. yeah. They don't really let it go, and that was is that one of the problems with Next Generation is that there's not like it seems like Next Generation was such the Picard and Data show that I can't really think of like hard bonding relationships in the rest of the cast. Right, and then part of that probably is trickled down from just the establishing principles with when Rod and Mary was running the show where yeah. nobody can fight. Well, there are a few. There are a few. Data and Jordy are sort of peers and they and there's their relationship. There is Riker and his ex wife or ex fiance, <laughs> Deanna Troy, and their relationship. There's Do- Dr. Crusher in love with the man who killed her husband and their relationship. 
So I mean, right there, there's like right. three off the top of my head. But two of those are ro- two two of those are romances. But but they don't and, right, and they're mostly static. They don't really change and evolve like the Bashir O'Brien. It does a little bit. It it slightly does, but it's basically the same game they're playing for those entire. Okay. Yeah, I'll go with that. They're never. They don't, none of them ever start off would not. You might turn me on this yeah. yet, but it's not going to happen this episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm willing to take. We got time. I'll just kind of ease y'all into it. Yeah, it seems to me that like the the idea uh. is later on in the show, and and I don't I don't even remember specifics enough to get into spoiler territory. But it seems like there was e- episodes where it would be like, oh shit, O'Brien may never talk to Bashir again, and that's wounding to me. You know, or that, mm, that, that, you know, wow. that I, that I yearn for that, you know, that's inter- and, it's interesting to me. I don't even remember that. And this is like my, I'm, I'm not saying a specific, I'm not saying a specific. I, I know, memory. but I'm just saying it, yeah. it must've made a bigger impact on you at the time than it did me. Mm-hmm. I was probably fine with it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. These characters, they're just fine. They're not rewriting. They're, they're not, I, you yeah. know, they're not what I watched the show for. Yeah. So the fact that so much has been... Right. Well, Julian's an interesting... We've talked a lot already about the problems with Julian. And when they figure him out, he's interesting only in relation to other characters. Like, And he's the he's the main guy that you get these bond, these pairs with that people talk about. It's Julian and O'Brien. And then also... Julian and Garrick. Garrick, yeah. And that's when he really becomes... They talk later as an episode down the line that is pretty divided among the fans called Armand Bashir, but they talk about that as the turning point for Bashir or mm-hmm. the actor does. But we won't get in that, but that's also heavily yeah. influenced by Garrick. So I, yeah, I mean, I, I think that they wrote, they got themselves in a position with, just because Bashir is such a, he, he was such a loathsome character idea. And, and I, and I don't think the actor helped. And then, so you have to sort of make it work or, or write him off. And I don't think there were, you know, I don't think it was a write it off situation. It was just to fix it. And I think they, they obviously tried. Right. Well, they wanted to write him off. They tried. And then Berman. Oh stood yeah. Up. Cause Berman was in like love with, uh, he was actually just in love with Alexander yeah, Sudeik well, as an actor. This episode is a little bit like a, like a, right, what is the phrase James, a, a 50 degree day. I mean, oh, yeah, like a 40 degree day. Yeah. 40, yeah. I mean, it's not. <laughs> It's a it's a forty degree day right in the middle of the season. It's very Star Trekky, so it's got that going for it. It does have some character development, so it's moving the ball down the field a little bit. So where we get to see a little bit of the interior lives of these people, it's good to see the captain acting like the captain, or you know yeah. the commander acting acting like a Star Trek captain. Yeah, I mean yeah. the delivering the scene where he's delivering the the news to Keiko that O'Brien died, I thought was like I thought it was a great scene. You know, I think like that was. I did too. Yeah. That I thought that was a really moving scene. I don't know if it should have remained unsaid, or he should have, or they should have made it text. But he almost could have said, "You know, I've been through this. You know, I've been through your side of this." Yeah, it's like, oh man. Yeah, I've, 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 I've had to do I've this been before. on your side. This is my you know? least favorite part. And that, yeah. You know, Keiko took it like Keiko yeah, yeah. would. You know, like okay, I'm ready. To, you know, give me all the details. I want to see him die, which is weird. Mm-hmm. You know, but she's not that emotional. They do dredge up the Keiko's bitchy about moving to Deep Space Nine stuff again. So we get to rebring that up. Right. And I think maybe put that to bed. Like, yeah, I think, I think this has got to be the, like the last stop for that, right? I don't yeah. think it comes up again. In yeah, fact, I right. think it does come up whenever she goes hey. later on. It's not that big of a spoiler. She goes on another assignment and yeah. yes. it's dealt with in a little bit more depth between the two of them. But it's not, it's not the topic of conversation among the other officers. Um, 
Wade, we got a, another rule of acquisition. Do you have that handy? Yes, we did. Yeah, yeah. Because everybody's having their sad moments when they're like commiserating about like O'Brien and Bashir are dead. How are we going to get through this? When they're and then Dax and Kira are at the bar drinking a drink, and then Cork has a pretty heartfelt moment where he like, "Hey, these drinks are on the house," and they're like, "What?" Because that actually is a pretty big deal for Cork, and he's like, "Yeah, I can be." <laughs> thoughtful too and they're like okay and then they're like oh yeah they were good customers yeah and then we have the 57th rule of acquisition good customers are as rare as latinum <laughs> treasure them which is a very you know it's a very sweet it's almost this aphorism the most the, emo- the rules are, are least are not that aphorism, yeah yeah it's, it's the most yeah this is the most emotional yeah. rule of acquisition that you have it's an interesting i'm starting to be interesting because i'm starting to follow the like the, the rules and like i think probably they're just writing them into the story as they need them like, oh yeah, ooh, most definitely. Ooh, 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 yeah, oh, but like, like ooh, 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 let's just throw in a rule of acquisition that makes my point here. But I, I, I'd like to think that there is some sort of like that I receive a bear somewhere. It's has got this overarching thought about it, about like what they say in total, other than just hey, Ferengi's are greedy and we were making fun of it. You know, they're actually. I'm sure he probably thought that out when he wrote the book, which I may need to read at some point. Yeah, I mean, I feel like at some point I'm going to end up reading some post DS9. Novels. The Garrick, the flowers of ba- whatever. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, I wish you'd found that. <laughs> I found this book at a used bookstore for two bucks. I sent a picture. I waited here over, uh, over it on my phone. They sent it back and told me it was 80 bucks, but I'd already left the store by then. Yeah. On Amazon, this particular book, because it was written by Andrew Robinson, the actor who played Garrick, wrote a book, a DS9 Garrick book. And this paperback, if you guys ever see it, is worth actual money is on the secondary market. A lot, so, quite a bit of money, yeah. Yeah, and so, uh, James let it slip through his fingers. Yeah. For two bucks, two bucks. Yeah. What Should we get to the, the end and what we would change about this? Yeah, yeah. The only other thing, Dax has, has Julian's diaries. She hasn't bothered to read. And then Keiko, they, they figure out that they're probably, the, yeah, they've faked the video because Keiko sees O'Brien drink coffee and she notices the timestamp and says, well, nope, it's late in the afternoon. My husband would never drink coffee that late. They faked this video. My husband's still alive. And then they do some tricks with the runabouts to get away from the Talaskians and the get back to the station. O'Brien's in recovery looking at a mug that his daughter painted badly. Because she's three, <laughs> it's fine. She's got talent. <laughs> Says, I'd like some coffee. And then you have, oh, it, going back to an original series, it feel, feel like you end oh, yeah. with a joke, basically. Like, ha, ha, ha. And because O'Brien says, I'd like some coffee now. What? You never drink coffee in the afternoon. What are you yeah, talking about? So, I always do. So the, the impetus what? that made her skeptical of the videotape was her being mistaken about his rituals. Which just goes to show that they're, uh, whatever the state of their marriage, they don't right. know each other as well as they well, think they do. I think that, that, can we segue real quick into what I would change? Because mine's director, directly related to... The, the ending joke? Okay, yes, yes. I think we should start it. And I don't know if yeah, we might overlap it. a little bit. If we do, just interject and, uh, you know, we can dovetail into what you guys would change. But the whole point of Keiko discovering the discrepancy is to show the fact that your coworkers know you but your the, your loved ones and your family know you better. Mm-hmm. And Bashir tried to paint Keiko as a weakness. And in that moment, she, it was a strength. Yeah. And the fact that they disregarded that at the end for a little bit of light comedy, I felt 
was a little bit disappointing because Cisco's wife is dead because she went on on a, on a trip with him because <laughs> because he was in the service and she decided to you know bring her family on board and she's dead. Mm-hmm. Stakes are high, but you do need this reminder that having your family with you is, is not uh, you know a liability or a weakness like Bashir paints it. And Keiko wonderfully illustrates that. And so by having the little bit of light comedy at the end, I think it's a little bit at the expense of that moment in the middle. Maybe, yeah. That's what I yeah, would change. And, you know, and uh, O'Brien tells Julie in marriage, it's right. the greatest adventure of all. And do you, you, you guys yeah, are married, I, do you agree? Can am, I'll be the, I'll be the, ro- the, yeah. the mad bachelor I, around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my wife doesn't listen to the podcast, so I don't mind saying that. I think that it's a little platitudinous. Sure. I, I think that it's a little easy to write mm-hmm. that. And I think that, and my big thing is I think both of their sharings are, are too easy. But uh, right. but, on this, well. but, uh, but on this, I think that, um, yeah, no, I think he's right. I think Hugh's right in that it actually has a particular sort of function in your life is that you are not a nobody, that somebody knows you very well. And when you die, not only will it affect someone emotionally, but they, they're they there to, to notice the imperceptible or, 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 or to be a part, you know, that like my wife just kind of knows me, mm-hmm. you know, right. and, and, and that if that, and not in a general way, but like in a, no. and not in a, not in a biblical, but no, <laughs> well, like, well, you know, but just like, you know, if I, if something's bothering <laughs> you, she have does, actually. more than one no, child. Like, she did. I have, I have. I don't want to brag, but I've had sex with <laughs> I was my like, wife. Well, no, like, um, <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about. And, and no, I suspect right. that O'Brien and, and I suspect that O'Brien and Keiko have had sex too. No, uh, but like that she that that I think that it yeah that it shows that sort of that strength and that sort of thing. I don't necessarily know if like I don't know why does Keiko's daughter have to wear a visor to see. <laughs> She's she's uh yeah. Why does Molly O'Brien have to wear a visor? <laughs> right for, like for being part Irish, they, she's really so. her. You know, <laughs> she's not as pale as you'd think. It's <laughs> pretty dark skinned. Yeah. So all right, I'm sorry. I had to throw <laughs> yeah, that in there. Uh, Go ahead, James. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I but no, I agree with him. I think that that was the point of the story. I don't mind subverting it for a little bit of humor at the end. It's it's old TV. It's old timey TV to write that kind of joke at the right. end. It's like a murder <laughs> right. she wrote. Yes, something. yes, yes. It is. That's exactly what it is. And I don't like. I don't think this episode. You know, I think the whole point of our podcast is that there's times where this show reaches an upper echelon of quality that bespeaks right. the quality that comes that becomes like sort of ubiquitous in television now. This wasn't one of those episodes that's got up to murder. Well, that's just this, what I would change, this is, this, but yes. Yeah, I, this, yeah. Guy, this gets up to murder, she wrote, <laughs> level, and so that that didn't bother me. I don't know. But, like, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that, like, that didn't... But I think you're right in that it does subvert the main theme of the episode, which is that right. you know, that Keiko's... Not just attachment, but her, her perception of O'Brien saved them. And Bashir. Let's yeah, say, oh, and like, save Bashir. She should O'Brien and Keiko's marriage saved Bashir's ass, and he never even acknowledges. Oh, that, not only really. that, but you also have the parallel. You have the parallel of him trying to have that kind of bond with Dex. He gives her the fire to to miss so that she understands him, and because they're not married, because they're not in love, because they haven't went on that adventure together, she doesn't give a shit. I'm sure there was something in right. Bashir's diaries that could have been revelatory to Dex, looking at the video too, but she he didn't have that right. kind of bond. 
because right. because he's above that according to what he said while being arrogant. Right. But then he says he's not because he was in love with a ballerina named Palace Delon. Yeah, that's such a dumb. Yeah. Who with exquisite feet. It's all about good arches. Which, by the way, ball- ballerinas ballerinas do not have good feet. No, they're gross. <laughs> they. So that's what made her an exception. Oh, yeah. But her arches were pretty good. You had to have strong arches, right? I guess. I guess, maybe. You can't have fallen arches. Uh, mm-hmm. What would you guys... What? My biggest thing is that I thought that both of those combinations... That the thing I would change is that go deeper, man. Don't just... I had a girlfriend once and I had to dump her to stay at my job. I would have rather <laughs> this revelations been about everything with Bashir is this facile... Like that he's a, he's a coos hound. And I don't, like, they can't get away from that for a minute to just make a story about Bashir. We do know from later on in the show, Bashir had a fucked up upbringing. And I know that he might be trying to hide that. That can be an emotional thing that you can share. Share something better and deeper and personal. Not about I was in love, but that, you know, I don't know. I'm an arrogant asshole and I don't have any friends because everybody hates me. Yeah. You know, well. that's that seems like a thing to share. And that, and then O'Brien can, you know, like, can, it needs to stay in the sort of marriage realm with Keiko because that was the question at hand. But, like, I just felt like that all of that sharing, I don't mean, like, See, they should have got out of hanky and cried. Right. Because that's not how men, that wouldn't have read well right either. Right. Well, I'd see it didn't bother me as much because it sets up that O'Brien is just an enlisted man. Bashir is a career officer or whatever, so he had, he... He gave up the steady the life that O'Brien has to go for the ad- action adventure James T. Kirk lifestyle of z- zipping through space, and you can't. He had to choose his career over family, basically, which is a yeah, common but, enough trope. But O'Brien, but O'Brien is always going on these wet work missions. O'Brien is the one that saved. O'Brien is James T. Kirk, but with a wife. Like O'Brien is like living this adventurous life he's out in space he's meeting crazy things he's been to war he's 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 constantly going on these like wet works operations for some reason like he is leading a life of adventure like and he also has a family at home yeah o'brien's been in the shit yeah he's been but in he the has shit. he's not living a life I, of prestige which is part I of know, like I, what the currency i think you're parsing things out a little bit there whenever you're you're splitting hairs i, I think i think i get i get what you're both are saying and i think that it's nobody's gonna live exactly. Well, yeah, fair. yeah, I agree. Because, but I think that it's it's you know that and not to oh yeah, my god. I've seen like, I've seen James there. T. Kirk I, and you, sir, are no James Kirk yeah, O'Brien. Yes. I mean Bashir. But I'm gonna <laughs> right. yes. I, I I don't want to reduce them down to their uh, ethnic dishes, but I mean like I'm going to. Um, okay. Like, oh boy. O'Brien okay. O'Brien O'Brien is a meat and potatoes guy, and Bashir sure. is like a chick is like a chicken spicy curry. <laughs> he's a spicy curry, and, oh, and he's trying to live a more exotic, more interesting life than O'Brien is trying to live. But O'Brien is living a more adventurous life than Bashir is at this point because that's true. Bashir is is an emotional cripple, and that's what the story needs to be about. That's who the character is. You can't fix that. He yeah. is. He is emotionally broken for whatever reason. People don't like him. I don't like him. <laughs> like he, like o- O'Brien doesn't like him. And like I think that there should be a moment where O'Brien sees that in him and realizes that I, 
uh, this guy's broken and obnoxious. Yeah. We had a friend, Wade, in high school. This is the second time I've, I've, I've evoked a past friendship vaguely. Uh, yeah. We've had a friend in high school that we were friends with. We wouldn't have been if he wasn't such an vulnerable and unique man. That's true, and, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that that's kind of the nature of their relationship. It's a lot more real, right. and it's a lot deeper between them two as the show goes on. But it is because Bashir is essentially unlovable that O'Brien can't help but love him. And I think that that needed to be a little bit more put put forth. Yeah, you, you've sold me. I would That would have... I, yeah, you've sold me. I think it works fine, but yeah, I like that much more. Did we get to know what? Oh uh, yeah. What well, I don't. I, I feel like I already covered most of what I would change. I would have said it in the Gamma Quadrant somewhere. Have them come across this planet that's been at war and just or solve it, or at least you can still start like in media race or whatever. But at least set up that that's what's happened, because right now you don't know where these people are located. They're an hour from the station, but they're, we never see them again, as far as I know. And they don't have any, mm-hmm. they don't actually ex- feel like they actually exist anywhere. To sort of reinforce this point, I think maybe the show is at the point, and maybe Star Trek, at this point in the Star Trek canon, we're maybe at the point where we need to just stop planet hopping because we've developed a continuity. Right. So, like, like, on instance on Game of Thrones, if they just went to some new house, like, I would need to explain how this house fits into all the other people I know. Like, and I think maybe like fit it into the continuity of the show of game of Thrones. And I think that maybe star Trek was at this point where you're like, you just go to some random ass planet and you don't tell me, are they in the Federation? Are they aligned with, you know, where are they right. in the Cardassian Bajoran thing? You need, these things need to be a fit in the story. In well, the yes. Story. Yeah, they do. Especially for DS nine. But also when you do that, you piss off the, some star Trek fans, because that's who are absolutists. Yeah. That's what Star Trek is about: is exploring people that you haven't met before, and and each episode, and then it gets to be Twilight Zone, and each episode yeah, is yeah, yeah. unique to the episode that came before. But that's just not. I, yeah. I felt like this right. may be in the transitional stage of right. that. Yeah, I mean, and that's what I like about anymore. DS Nine: how it, it does Trek mm-hmm. differently. Like you're living with the Bajorans the whole time, yes. and the Cardassians, yes. and then eventually the Dominions. And these 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 races are set. There's right. the Breen, there's the Klingons, these, the, yeah, there's yeah, the, yeah. you know. Yeah, they're all, all the, everything that's on the new Star Trek risk that's out. Um, <laughs> the Breen even have a location on there. Yeah, and the, and the other, one other thing I would change I've already mentioned before is, come on, man, just don't call them Harvesters if you're going to waste that name. <laughs> yeah, yeah cool. Like, awful. Harvesters... You want? I it's want a confusing. fucking rover from like spend... the prisoner. It, th- that's what I want to see when I think of a harvester, not just a <laughs> Saren. Well, you spend a lot of time as an audience member wondering if you missed something for <laughs> yeah. the first ten minutes. Yeah, because it does set it up like the the goo. I guess it's goo because there are these little like you know when you have the like the pneumatic tube thing at the bank. They're just full of like some sort of goop. Right, like, right, right. Yeah. And then they got muon radiation. You, you and... feel like that there's like they film it with these close ups and like you feel like that I'm gonna have to okay, I gotta pay attention to the goo. All the filmmaking is telling me the goo is gonna be really centrally important. And it's not. No. I mean I guess it's important that some gets on O'Brien, but that's about it. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that that's basically all I really have. I actually like like the core of this episode, those the dramatic scenes between I thought were really good, well done, but yeah, the 
like we said, the the stuff on the outside is kind of rotten. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so. I agree. It's uh, you know ultimately when we do our uh, white album episode at the end of the season, the killer no filler episode. I think I may this will probably be on the list that'll that'll stay. It might you know, for me but, too, just because the O'Brien stuff. All right. Yeah, but other than that. So it's, there you go. That's probably the best I can say about it. <laughs> yeah, that'll be interesting to see how I feel when we wrap up the season where I where I think about this. I think it's, uh, I don't know if they really moved the yeah. ball down the field very much uh, for, for me, but I, I'll, it'll be interesting to revisit that. It's a good point. Um, the IMDb, we had 550 people vote on this. You guys want to guess uh, what how many stars the IMDb 6.7. users gave? 7.3. James. Pretty, pretty darn close. Wow. 7.4. Oh, I thought I was going to go over, huh? Yeah. Yeah. People are starting to like these episodes. You were, you thought you were being comically well, generous. And I know it, that it, when it, I was reading about the history of the episode, both Pillar and Iris Stephen Bear are both very back patty about this episode. Yeah. Um, and, and I know that it's key to the O'Brien-Bashir friendship, which is more popular than... than we, we we give it credit for on this podcast, but yeah, so it's probably more popular than I give it credit for. But you guys, you guys, I didn't want to, I didn't want to single you out. Yeah. But yeah. Well, we we all know how you feel about <laughs> no, O'Brien, no, and none I'll, of us like I'll to share that. Much, so. that. And I really, I think that the the case for for O'Brien being made a stronger character, uh, other than just a guy who pushed buttons whenever <laughs> Picard needed to go somewhere. Um, has gotten a lot stronger. Like I think the case for Bashir is better now than it. Like if we're doing the state of the union, state of the union type of dress for Star Trek Deep Space Nine at this point, I say um, you know our Bashir growth is is a bit stagnant, but our on the O'Brien front, yeah. we're growing. I agree. I agree. Making uh, him a a a putting so. him in the shit in, in this past. Yeah. Adding that element was yes. Just, and it, I don't know when it happened, but it, I think it happened this season, like or somewhere where they just no it happened in season one. They, they just started talking about that, that he yeah that he had some sort of war pass. Yeah. Well, it they even yeah, he was an enlisted. I feel like they and, set that up even they start doing that in next generation before he even comes on. Deep Space Nine. He has a history with the Cardassians. He's already yeah. knows what yes. they do to the, prisoners. When like even when I guess so. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that that's one of the things, and I've mentioned before that I I kind of like about O'Brien <laughs> is that uh, he saw some extreme stuff. He was in the shit, and that he nobody ap- appreciated the transporter room cushiness job. Right. As a result, yeah. mm-hmm. he got to be on the flagship. Everything worked. He met his wife. He had a kid. You know, he had he had a favorite transporter room. So yeah, no, I agree with you. Bashir is uh is 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 working pretty good. I even like now if we can have one of our one of our audience members that's really good with uh, Photoshop, please Photoshop Molly O'Brien wearing Jordy's visor. We'd really appreciate it. <laughs> in fact, in fact, we're gonna have have a motif where we're going to constantly question her parentage. <laughs> Various right. cast members of the next generation could be her father. <laughs> We're gonna put a Riker beard on her or something. A Riker beard <laughs> or her planet Trump trombone. Yeah. You can give her data eyes. <laughs> yes. That would all right. All right. So uh, next week, what do we got to look forward to, gentlemen? The next week's episode is called the something whisper something. Maybe the whispers or whispering or something, and it's about. Uh, they send O'Brien on another wet works up wet works operation. He comes back and he's hearing voices. Okay, like so. what we like about O'Brien is his 
Jason Bourne passed. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, so I think that's what I think we're in I think we're in for a slew of O'Brien episodes. Okay. Like I think like it seems like O'Brien is mentioned in the next several Alright. Like, so yeah, we've AMD been in the doldrums. Plus. I think they're saving the good episodes for the end of the season again, maybe. Yeah, we're, we're we, do, we are. In a few episodes, we are introduced to the Maki. Oh, we have The Wire, reads, I think, oh is in this season, which is like what fan favorite, I think. Is that when they try to take down Avon Barksdale in space? <laughs> That's it. It's all about <laughs> subspace communications uh, and uh, listening uh, in on those. <laughs> yes. Uh, burner, burner. <laughs> burner, uh, track orders. Communicators. <laughs> yes. right. All right, guys. All right. Well, I guess that's it for this week, right, guys? I think so. All right. All right. Three to beam out. Did you know that some Deep Space Nine podcasts have more reviews than us on iTunes? Doesn't that piss you off? Please review us on iTunes. We need to feel loved sometimes. Please follow us on Twitter at AcquisitionPod and on Tumblr at the rules of acquisition podcast.tumblr.com. I think I need a wife. I guess like a robot wife, but like a sexy robot wife. Lots to choose from, not just the sexy ones we all think of, like that one from Metropolis or R2D2. Everybody knows they are hot and fuckable. I personally have always wanted to come home to the 1962 GM Unimate and SRI International's Shaky the Robot. Everybody says a simo. But for me I want to put it into the Mars Pathfinder. I have a lot to think about. <laughs>